Savior 
Man, guys, I'm glad you're here. And if uh, you were like some of us, we spent the last four days doing this uh, thing that's new to me called the Dessert Theater. And um, it's hard for me to continue talking without just recognizing the dozens of people that stepped into faith over the last few days. So give it up for those people and for a God who's called them. And I'm excited that we can um, be a light. Um, so if that's you and you're here, man, we're glad you're here. We love to just hang out and talk with you and, and uh, welcome you into the family of the Lord. And, and for others, um, wow, it was just, it was, it was a cool experience. So um, I just want to remind us in Psalm 22, it um, talks about how we ascribe to the Lord in our singing. And it also talks about how we meet together, encouraging each other, because um, reality is we walk in here with things that are difficult and us singing together um, lifts our spirit knowing that we're singing to a God who can heal our problems. So I want to encourage you to keep singing and do that together with me.
just come before you this morning, God, and, and we are so expecting, God, how you will continue to move. And God, just knowing the people that waited and waited and waited for your arrival, and then we're able to experience you. And now, God, we don't live in light of the hope that is to come. Like, Jesus, you're still coming. God, you've already come and paid that penalty for us on the cross. And that work is finished. And now, God, you reign. And we are just, we, we, we are so excited about how you're going to move this morning. And, and the hope that we find in you, God, truly, truly is thrilling for so many reasons. And God, it even goes deeper than that. And so, Lord, I just know that a lot of us are are coming in with uh, all the things that we came in with and with the car ride and, and maybe even just in our thoughts from work and relationships and all that kind of swirling around. I just pray that this would be just a moment where we can just put those things aside. God, that we can just focus on you and that we can make you the priority. And so, God, we love you. And uh, it's just such a privilege to gather uh, and just uh, sing to you. And we love you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, people. Make sure you say hello to those around you. We're excited that you're here. So as, uh, as you pass the friendship folders down the row, we appreciate that. We're excited that you're here. And I just want to share, um, how many of you were able to check out the dessert theater this week? Man, can we just give Beth and her team a hand? That was a great, great time. Man, it was awesome. And I just want to tell you guys that over 40 people, listen, 40 people surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. Can we get excited about that this morning? It is, uh, it's truly a privilege to, to serve you and be a part of the staff here at Crossroads. And what I love about the Dessert Theater is it's the heart of our church. It's linking arms, it's locking arms and saying, Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. And we want to reach our communities for that. And so if they can hear about the message of Jesus Christ through a play, we're going to put on a play. We're going to put on a musical. We're going to go into our communities. And so what a, what a privilege and what an honor to be a part of God's work here at Crossroads and what he's doing all over the city and in the whole world. Uh, a couple of things I want to highlight is uh, one that coming up on Christmas Eve, uh, we will have three different gatherings. We'll have a two, four, and a six. And so let's keep the party moving. Let's keep the party going from the dessert theater. So those of you that invited somebody, like keep inviting those people to Christmas Eve. Let's keep that party going. Let's keep that momentum going. And honestly, most people don't show up to churches because they're not asked. It's not because they don't want to. It's most of the time it's because they don't, they're not being asked. And so a personal invite goes so far. So that's my challenge to us all is that we would invite somebody and just say, hey, would you join us? Would you sit with us? And, you know, as Ken's been saying, you know, I'll buy you dinner afterwards. <laughs> Whatever it takes. We're just excited about sharing this message of hope with our community and our neighbors and our family. And so we're excited about that. Um, one thing else I want to highlight is that we are continuing to, to talk, talk about what God's doing in the birthday gift of Jesus. And so you can look in your bulletin, look in that list, and just keep praying through what it is that we uh, that you would give towards that. Uh, but I want to show you all a quick video uh, from Caroline Wise, and we're uh, just excited to hear Pastor Ken's going to share about that. Hi, Crossroads Ministries. My name is Caroline Wise. Um, you guys might recognize me. I've been to the church a few times. My sister, Chanel, actually goes to your church. She's got two beautiful girls and a awesome husband there named Max. Um, so yeah, my name is Caroline and I'm here with YWAM Yosemite in Yosemite, California right now doing a missions training program. Um, the school that I'm doing is called a DTS, a Discipleship Training School, and we've spent the past three months in a lecture phase of just learning about the character and nature of God and how to be evangelists. Um, and now for the next three months I'll be in Nepal actually doing missions work. Um, by the time you guys see this, I'll actually be there. It'll be my first day there. Um, we arrive on December 8th, and we are so excited. It's going to be an amazing journey. Um, yeah, God has already been moving in incredible ways. We actually, a few weeks ago, were in Chico, California, um, and helping with the fire relief that's going on in Paradise, California. We were able to help the people um, that have lost everything, that have lost their homes and family members and all kinds of things. And we were able to just um, listen to their stories and um, 
talk to them about everything that's happened and talk them through and be there just for emotional support. And we actually got the opportunity to lead quite a few people to Christ, which is really phenomenal. Um, so yeah, God is just moving in incredible ways, and I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you all so much for all of your prayers and support. Um, I can't wait to get back and tell you about all the amazing things that God has done. Um, so yeah, please keep me and my team in your prayers, and I can't wait to come back and tell you guys all about it. Have a great Christmas, um, a happy new year, and I'll see you next year. God for that this morning. You know, uh, her dad was here last night. I think he's in the building today somewhere. He may be here. Is he here? Is he... Right, he didn't make it. All right. All right. Where's Chanel? I hear her. There you go. All right. There you are. All right. I just can't see anymore. All right. Let's give Chanel a hand. We thank you for your sister, your family. Exciting what God's doing. And uh, she'll be in Nepal. I guess she's in Nepal today, according to that, her first day. So let's, uh, let's pray for, uh, for Chanel's sister there, Caroline Wise. She's at the last of the list there on the, on, on the paper inside of your bulletin. And, you know, that's what we do is God puts us in connection with people. They're going out to do his work. We're able to supply. We're able to help them. So as, uh, as she's going out, and it's, uh, even though it's a, a shorter term, she's not there for a life, maybe God will call her there for life. And we're just going to ask that God will work mightily in, in, in Caroline's life. And, uh, you know, the, the kids that have come through our church here that are out on a mission field, it's just incredible. One of them is John Fowler. You'll look in there and you'll, you'll see the John Fowler on the list there, John and Bianca. And uh, John is in Panama. He's a missionary into Panama. He's raising his family there. And it's pretty powerful just to, to, just to think. You know, here was a guy that grew up in our church here. Uh, he went to our church youth group. He got baptized. I baptized him myself here in our church back in his teenage years and now he's out serving God he went into ministry he was a youth pastor and then God called him on to be a a a missionary down into Panama and God is just doing great things all around the world so God's work is bigger than we are so I want to encourage you to take this list and pray over it and ask God what part you would play uh, in the birthday gift of Jesus. It's, uh, our, we've set a goal of $83,000, and we're thrilled to be able to say that everything that comes in goes directly out to the projects you see on the list here. None of it stays here. And then what, goes, what comes in over and above, we continue to give. We continue to bless. We're going to bless other missionaries. Maybe, maybe uh, we'll give them extra, but we're going to be able to send this out. So everything that comes in will go out for the glory of God. And so uh, I'm just so thankful for all that he's doing this morning. We were also supposed to have Jeff and Arlene Berg. They're at the top of the list. There are missionaries right here in Pittsburgh to, and Squirrel Hill to our Jewish community. And I'd like for you to pray for Arlene. She was, they were supposed to be here today and share with you, but they were unable to because Arlene's got a real serious health condition going on with her with her hip and legs and so she's actually got a, uh, a walker that she's maneuvering around with but uh, she's just in a lot of pain so I'm going to ask you to pray for Jeff and Arlene this morning uh, as we continue they're ministering in light of all that's happening over there in in Squirrel Hill all the tough times that have gone with uh, this terrible tragedy they are out they're making a difference and God is using them and uh, I'm sure we'll have them here in January to to be able to talk a little bit and share with you with what is God doing over in Squirrel Hill. So uh, this morning, I'd like to call our ushers forward. We'll receive our morning offering. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, when I think of these, these people that were in our church and we're able to make a connection and now they're out uh, serving the Lord, I'm just reminded, you know, of uh, what happened here this weekend. We had so many people here. Half of them are still sleeping this morning. God bless them, right? But uh, it was like we, the church was filled for four nights straight, and uh, we just had an incredible time. But I saw little kids on our stage, and we let our kids be the lead. It was so awesome. You know, you see kids that are five years old, eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, all the way up to like really old people, right? So there was like all ages were involved. And man, you know what? I thought that's what happened to me whenever I was a kid. I came into this church. They gave me a donut and said, keep coming. Well, I kept coming. and You know the story, right? So I, I just kept coming. And then, but they told me you can do something. You don't have to wait till you're 40 years old for God to use you. 
So we had kids up here that were five years old, seven years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. And, and they're saying, wow, God can use me. One of our parents posted a picture of her kids from the play. And she was like, what a blessing to be involved with this. My kids loved it, had a great time. And we got to help people find Jesus. Can we thank God for that this morning, folks? Woo. That's, that's what I want to be remembered for. I don't ever want to be remembered for anything else outside of that church up on the hill. They brought people to Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Our Father and our God, we come before you and we thank you for this opportunity to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus. God, we lift up to you Caroline Wise this morning, Chanel's sister. We just thank you for all that you're doing in her life. Uh, thank you that you've, you're tapping young people and tapping their hearts and saying, come, follow me. Come, I've got a plan for you. I have work for you to do. God, I pray you'll raise up an, the next generation of, of army out of this church to go out and change the world. Lord, with our kids that were out here on this play, may they have a new sense of purpose, a new sense of direction because you use them. And more than 40 people came to Jesus this weekend because little children took a step of faith, because adults took a step of faith, because people handed out cake in the gymnasium, because people were parking cars on the parking lot, people were handing out bulletins, people were being kind and caring, and we were just being the church. Thank you, God. It's a huge privilege to be called your children. Lord, as we give to you this morning, we ask that you will bless these missionaries. We lift up the Bergs to you. We know that Arlene is going through a real struggle with health crisis. We ask that you empower her, Lord. Touch her body and give her strength to do what you've called her to do. Uh, Lord, we just ask now that as we give to you, you'll bless these tithes, these offerings. And Lord, that you'll meet the needs over and above for this birthday gift to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.
This morning as we continue our series, The Thrill of Hope, you know, uh, Christmas is always about hope. Christmas is always about awaiting, you know. When you, uh, uh, we start out last week, I said, as you wait for Christmas, it's like this waiting game. But I want you to understand that Christmas has always been about waiting. There's always been some element of waiting to Christmas. And as you look at the first Christmas, that was a long wait for that first Christmas. For, you know, we, this morning we just sang that song, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Come, thou long expected Jesus. We think about that. It was a long, long time before the Messiah came. As a matter of fact, it was thousands of years from the time man fell to when Jesus arrived on the scene, whenever he came as a baby. And so when, when you think about this, you think, wow, what, what is God doing? So the, the, the people, God had given so many prophecies. He would give, he would give little, little tidbits and you could just start putting it all together that, yes, this was the Messiah. He would, he would be born in Bethlehem. This was the Messiah. He would be born of a virgin. And, and you could put this whole story together and you kind of see the whole picture. But this morning, I want you to think about this, that God had a plan and, and it took thousands of years before Jesus came to the earth. But even before that, God had a plan before the world was made. Now, this is kind of wild. Over in, in, in Revelation, we're just going to go to right to verse 8. Revelation 13, verse 8 says, All inhabitants of the earth would worship the beast. He's talking about at the end times, and he's saying that there will be those that will go to heaven, they will worship God, and the ones that do not, they will worship the beast. The ones that do not follow Jesus will be worshiping the enemy. He says, All whose names have not been written in the book of life to um, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. Now, what he's talking about is in heaven, there's a book called the book of life. And in the book of life has the name of everybody that has trusted Christ as their savior. And everybody has an opportunity for their name to be in the book of life because Jesus died once for all for everyone. And so he gives the opportunity for you to trust Christ. And whenever you open your heart, you trust Christ, your name goes in the Lamb's book of life. And so here, what we're seeing, we're seeing here that from the, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. It's the Lamb's book of life, but it is the Lamb who was slain since before the creation. In other words, God had a plan before creation ever happened that he would come to this earth. That he would save mankind. Now that's an awesome God. That he would have the plan and he would be the one who would execute the plan. And so Galatians 4.4 tells us, Paul says there, he says, When the right time came, when the right time came that God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. In other words, here's what was happening. When the timing was just right, at just the right time, God sent his son, Jesus. She would be born of a woman. He would be born and subject to the law. In other words, he would be a human. And he's telling us, you know, Jesus didn't come like a human. He came human. He is a 100% God and a 100% man. And he comes and here he lives a perfect life. And so the scriptures tell us, but when the time was right. And you say, well, why did it take so long? Well, God had a plan. And he had a plan before the creation of the world that he was going to come to save us. Now you say, wow, God, th th this Christmas, when you're thinking about Christmas, you're looking at that manger under your tree. I want you to not think of some cute story. I want you to understand that this was the plan of God from time gone by. And when the fullness of time came, when the time was just right, we see, and you say, well, wh what was he waiting for? Well, we knew he'd be in Bethlehem. We knew he'd be of a virgin. We knew you could see all these things from prophecy as you take and you scan all the prophecies and you put it all together. But why did he wait so long? Why did Israel have to go through so much pain before their Messiah came? Why did, was there so much heartache? Why was there so much grief? Why was there exile? Why were all these pains that had to happen? Now, I want you to think of something. There, there was a, 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 it was called the diaspora. The diaspora was whenever the Jews were spread out all over the world. 
And so this is what had happened. The diaspora had happened, and Jews were not just living in Israel, but they were scattering all over the world at that time when Jesus was coming. Uh, it, it, the Romans, they were under Roman oppression. What, what happened during the Roman oppression, during the time of Rome? Rome was famous for their roads, so they made a road system. What happened when Jesus rose from the dead? The word spread quickly. Why? Because they had a road system, and they could move. So God says, at just the right time, I'm going to send my son. So he does. Galatians 4.4, 4, he sends his son at just the right time. Galatians 4.5 says that God sent him to buy freedom for those of us who were slaves to the law. That's all of us. So that he could adopt us as his own children. See, Jesus was under the law, but he was perfect. And in his perfection, he fulfilled the law. So Paul tells us, he says, not only did he come at the right time, not only would he be a human, not only would he be under the law, but he would set you free from the law because you can't accomplish the law. Jesus was the only one who could accomplish it. And so he did that so that he could adopt adopt us as his very own children. Now, whenever you're thinking about Christmas, you go to the shepherds, right? We had our our Christmas uh, play, the greatest pageant ever. And I think it was the greatest pageant ever, man. Forty-some people coming to Jesus, that's exciting, right? And so so when you think about this tonight, I, I want you to think about this. As you think about Christmas, you typically go to the manger. You typically go to the shepherds. You have the wise men, even though they came two years later, you still put them under your tree. It just looks so good, right? You got the little star. It goes way back, way much further back. And so here is Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 1 this morning, and I'm going to read to you the beginning of the Christmas story. And it doesn't start with the shepherds, and it doesn't start with the star, and it doesn't start with Mary. It doesn't even start nine months before Christmas. It's, it, it, does, it starts way back. And now as I read this, I want you to bear with me, because you're not going to be used to reading this type of passage, because you're saying, typically, when you look at this, you can say, let's go to verse 18. But this morning, I'm going to do something very different. I'm going to read verses 1 through 17. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he makes a connection back to David, back to Abraham. This was a, he's showing the kingly lineage, right? Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. (sighs) It's not done yet. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jekoina, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Take another breather. And now we continue, verse 12. And the exile to Babylon, Jekoina, and and the father of Shetil. Shetil, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abadu. Abadu, uh, Abad, the father of Elikim. Elikim. The father of Azar. Azar, the fellow of Z- uh, father of Zodak. Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elad. Elad, the father of Eliezer. Eli- Eliezer, the father of Matin. Matin, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. There were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. 
Now, that's not exactly the way we would have Christmas on Christmas morning. I always go to Luke chapter 2, and I read Luke chapter 2. I rarely read the genealogies to my family. And I've never read the entire genealogy to you as a church, right? Why? Because you don't go there. You typically are wanting to get to the drama. Yeah, I tell people when you're reading the Bible and, and you're trying to read through the Bible in a year, I, I encourage you that whenever you get to a passage like that, it's okay to skim it. Okay, It's okay to jump down to verse 18 because it's not jumping out to you. You're just like, what did he just say? He was the father. He was the father. He was the father. Was, oh, and by the way, this lady, and by the way, this guy, and you're just kind of blown away. But it, everything in this book is important. The reason that that genealogy is there is so that you and I could understand that this was not something made up. You see, the Jewish mind, Matthew was writing to the Jews, and he made it so that they could understand, and each one of them, they knew who Abraham was, they knew who David was, they knew some of the, some of the stories, and, and they could all identify, and they said, yep, now we know exactly who he's talking about. How do you write a fairy tale? Anybody? What's the first line of a fairy tale? Once upon a time, right? That is not the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not once upon a time. You see, if it were just once upon a time, then you'd be having a nice story like all the other Christmas stories. And there are plenty of them out there. The Hallmark Channel has 147 of them, I think, okay? And my wife has watched 137 of them, okay? And so it's just like, I, they're all the same to me. Have you noticed that? Watch the Hallmark Channel. This is not in the Bible, but let me tell you. Hallmark Channel movies are all the same. That's, you know, it's always the guy, and at the end, they fall in love. Oh, excuse me. Anyhow, so, so anyhow, the genealogy of Jesus, it's not once upon a time, folks. He says, let me tell you how this happened. So what may seem mundane is actually thrilling. And that's what I want you to remember this morning. As you're looking at this passage, what may seem mundane is actually thrilling. Matthew takes us way back. I mean, we, we, we understand from Revelation that it was before the foundations of the world. But Matthew brings in and he gives you something tangible. He says, let me go back to Abraham. Why? Because God had promised Abraham that he would bless all peoples through Abraham's lineage. All peoples of the earth will be blessed. Jesus was that fulfillment. So you take 14 generations, 14 generations, and another 14 generations, and then you have Jesus, and that was God's direct fulfillment, and God keeps his word. That is what Matthew's trying to say. He's trying to show you that uh, it's easy for us. We can go and we can skip through that because our minds aren't thinking in that way. But I want you to understand this is not some metaphor. There's no moral to the story. This is good news. See, when the angel came, the angel came, and the, 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 the Greek word for angel is angelos. It means messenger. And so this, this concept was that the angel was a messenger, and the angel brought good news. He said, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, for unto you is born a child. So he brings the great news of the child that was born. This is not a metaphor. The angel didn't say, you know, the bottom line to the story, you know, it wasn't like there's some moral out there in the stable. This was the son of God. And so the angel was proclaiming the good news is that the son of God has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He is, there's a proclamation. And so this is why it's so important. Because as we read now, if this said once upon a time, or even just jumped right to the story, and we didn't know the backstory of the manger, we would be kind of like, hmm, okay, nice. Because we hear plenty of fables. We hear plenty of made-up stories. But when you come and you understand, wow, this, wow, that, wow, whoa, this is the fulfillment of this promise, and he was serious about this, and he followed through, and now all of a sudden we see Jesus at the manger. Now, now whenever you start to read, and you read that Jesus actually touched a blind man's eyes and caused him to see, it has a little more validity. 
Now you understand that whenever Matthew said that the blind man, uh, he could see, it's not, it's not a fable, folks. It's not a metaphor that oh, all of a sudden he was enlightened and could see. He touched a blind man and he could see. And, 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 and then whenever he went, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He literally raised a man from the dead. And then when Jesus went to the cross, the Romans literally took Jesus' hands and they nailed him to a cross. And then when Jesus went into a tomb, he literally was dead in the tomb. And when Jesus rose again, he literally rose again. And then when you're reading all the eyewitnesses of Jesus, how that he rose again, and you see Matthew sets up his account there. Matthew, it's the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew is telling you the good news, and he takes and he goes all the way back. This is so important because it's real. You see, this is real. The great news. This is real. It's good news. It's great news. It's it's mind-blowing. And so Jesus came to save us. It's great news. You can't even try. The angel's coming to tell the great news. And so when we're reading this, we're not reading the moral to a story. We're not reading a story. Please don't tell your kids it's a Christmas story. This is the account of actual history that changed the world. It's, there's no other event like it. That God would become flesh and make his dwelling among us. And so you know what? what? Jesus came. Why? Because we deserve to be out in the cold and the dark. And think about this. Jesus comes and he's born out in the cold and in the dark. That's where you and I deserve. We deserve to be separated from God. And God comes into our world in the cold and the dark, lowly and humble. And, and then think all the way to the cross. Over, over in Matthew, he continues on here at, at the end of his book. Matthew 27 says that Jesus, while he was on the cross, that there was three hours of darkness. And then Matthew records that he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was again in the dark and in the cold. Christmas is the good news. It's the beginning. For us, it's the beginning of his human life here. But the story goes way back. It goes before the creation of the world. Grace is the thrill of hope, folks. As you look through this, through this, uh, through this genealogy, I want you to understand something, that there's grace written all over it. And grace is the thrill of hope. Uh, we, we don't typically understand this because in our day, we don't have a genealogy. You know, whenever I go to apply for a job, I don't hand them my genealogy, right? You hand them a resume. And whenever you make a resume, you may have had a job that didn't work out. You know, you ever had one of those? You, you worked at, an, at this job, maybe you're there for six months or a year or two or whatever, and you're trying to figure out how do I not put that on my resume, Right? So you kind of manipulate the resume, you don't lie, but you just kind of hide that bad experience because you don't want people to think about that bad experience of, uh, uh, of, your, of your work history. Well, in a genealogy, this was a, a communal, family-based society. What they would do, a genealogy would typically be written, and you would, number one, just list all the males, and they would trace your lineage through the males, and it would be your pedigree. It would be your, 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 your resume, so to speak, that you would be showing people. And Herod, he was known, he would come, Herod came, and he took names off of his genealogy, off of his public genealogy, because he didn't want people, that he didn't want to be associated with certain of his family. Anybody been there, right? Yeah, I mean, we've all been there, right? So there, there's, uh, you know, and, and you look at the genealogy, so he did that. Matthew, when Matthew is giving us the genealogy of Jesus, it's like his resume, he holds nothing back. He's not, he's not editing it so that he leaves all the bad stuff off. Number one, the first thing I want you to draw attention to here is that in his resume, in the genealogy, he includes women. A typical genealogy of that day would not have included women. Uh, a woman, their testimony would not have stood in a court of law in that day. So we have, we have outsiders being included in the list. Uh, verse 2, and I think we'll just throw this verse back up there if we can. Uh, verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3, he says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zehar, whose mother was Tamar. So we see one woman in 
the lineage. And then if you jump down to verse 5, he says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. We see the second woman. Boaz, the father of Abed, whose mother was Ruth. We see drawing attention to a third woman in the list. And then we go on down here in verse 6. It says, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of uh, Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. We see a fourth woman. And then all the way down to verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. There's the fifth woman who had been, who was born, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Now listen, it, it was like, this was unheard of. You would not impress people by including these women on your resume. That's point number one. Second thing I want you to catch here is that, uh, that not only that, but several of these, there were two Canaanites and one Moabite. They were not all Jews. They were Gentiles. Two Canaanite women and a Moabitess. And so now, now it's like, okay, what we're seeing is that God includes whom everybody else excludes. You see, God includes who society outcasts. God says, I'm going to include them. So as you go through and you look through the genealogy, you, you, see some, you see these people. In Jewish worship, the outsiders were not allowed to come in. Uh, they, they, would not have, uh, they would not have invited these uh, Canaanites and the Moabites. They would not have been allowed even to worship with the Jewish people. So this is like when Matthew is writing this, he could have easily said, Salmon, the father of Boaz, and just kept going, Boaz, the father of Obed. But what's he do? He draws our attention to a few women in this list. And on top of that, he draws our attention to some really nasty situations. Now, as you look through your family tree, you may say, oh, yeah, I had, you know, this is so-and-so, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. And you may have heard some stories, Right? And there's some stories that you're like, wow, he must have been quite a guy, all right? And you, you just kind of put all this together. This is the resume that Matthew is putting out there, and he's letting you see something. Now, check this out. Number one, he, verse three, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerhara, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar. It's a terrible story. A terrible account of history. You go back and you look in the Old Testament, you read the story of Tamar. Tamar tricks her father-in-law into sleeping with him. And she has a child. And look, it says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zehar, whose mother was Tamar. And he continues on and says, Perez, the father of Hezron. So we see coming through, Perez was, uh, through, through that lineage there, Judah was the father of Perez and Zehar. So it, it's through this incestuous relationship. Listen, that was forbidden by God. All over the scripture, there's, no, there's never any nice things about incest in the Bible. And so here it is. It's like, why did God? Why, Matthew, what are you doing? You're trying to build the resume of the king of kings and you include this? You see, if you're going to manipulate it, you would have left that out. Instead, he includes it when you wouldn't even normally include a woman. Uh, and then you go on to verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. And you're like, what? Go back and read in the book of Joshua. You, you read about, about, in Judges there, read about Rahab. And you're like, he includes? Why do you even mention her name there? And, and, and so we see these big things. And then you jump down, go down to verse 6. He says, Jesse, the father of King David. And you're finally like, wow, we've got to the royalty. So we're chasing the royalty lineage. We, he's shown us the royalty. And, he, and look what he says about David. He says, David was the father of Solomon. Yeah, Jesus was a part of the lineage. We can trace it. This is wonderful. But Solomon's mother had been Uriah's wife. He doesn't even mention her name there. Her name was Bathsheba. King David. Now, this is interesting. When you start putting this, I've looked at King David's life, and it's incredible. One day we'll do a whole series on King David. But I just want you to catch this. King David, one day, was being chased by King Saul before David was king. He's being chased by King Saul. 
And so he has, uh, over in, in Samuel, we read about, uh, I believe it's chapter 23, we read about the mighty men, the mighty men that he surrounded himself with. He had 30 mighty men, and they would protect him. And while he's fleeing from Saul, these men would protect him. And it was like, man, this was their, the, these guys were tight, no doubt. It was the mighty men. I try to surround my life with mighty men, people who care about me, want to pour into me. And that's a biblical principle. But here's David. He takes these mighty men. He becomes king. This blew my mind when I read this, folks. He says here, you know, Uriah's wife. He has a son to Uriah's wife. Uriah was one of the 30 men. And it never hit me before. Here's this guy over in Samuel 23, I believe it's verse 39. The last, the last uh, yeah, Samuel 23, 39. The last verse says, Uriah the Hittite, and he names him in that mighty men. He betrays his friend. He looks upon his friend's wife and is like, man, you are mighty fine, honey. And he kept going back for another look. And he kept going back for another look. And then he went for a tuck. And he takes her. Went from a look to a tuck. And he takes her. And he sleeps with her. And then the cover's tracks. He takes Uriah. So that he doesn't get found out. He takes Uriah, who was one of his 30 men, and he sends Uriah out to the front line so that he'll be killed. And he murders the man. And he has a son. One of his children is named Solomon. And Matthew says, look at the lineage. Look at the lineage. Do you know why that's all there? Because if he covered it up, it wouldn't be real. You see, there's nothing to hide. There was nothing to hide in the lineage of Jesus. There was nothing to hide, number one. Number two, it shows us that grace is the thrill of hope. It shows us that grace is the thrill of hope. And so the outsider who was once outcast can now be an insider. Uh, there, there, was a, there, there was a thing known as ceremonial cleansing. And here's what would happen. If, uh, if, you, if you were involved with sin or you had a disease or different, different issues, you would have to go through ceremonial cleansing because they never wanted that sin to spread. They looked at it as contagious. So you look at the Old Testament law. If there was sin, they dealt with it. You went through the ceremonial cleansing, and you were clean. And now you could once again come to worship. But while you were in that unclean state, you could not worship. So this morning, I want you to catch this because this is really big. Rahab's on that list. David's on the list, and he brings up brings up this mess with Bathsheba. He puts all that on there so that we can catch that the only way you can get into the family of God is through grace. You see, David, oh, he was king. He was a male. He should have been in there. But Matthew says, no, 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 no. He really shouldn't be in here. And let me show you why. And then you see Rahab, the prostitute. She was female and a prostitute. She shouldn't be in there. But Matthew says, oh, yes, let me show you. She's in here by the grace of God. Just like David's in here by the grace of God. Just like Mary is in here by the grace of God. And wow, we see this incredible picture of grace. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You see, the ceremonial cleansing, we're no longer contagious. Your sin is not contagious to a holy God. That holy God, his holiness will affect you. Your sin will not affect him. Wow. Look at the difference in a day when we would not even recognize and say, hush, hush. And today we do the same, don't we? Hush, hush. And we put things away and God says, you don't have to hush, hush. 
I already know about it. And by my grace, I'm going to include you at my table. In Jesus, a prostitute and a king sit at the same table. Male and female sit at the same table. Jews and Gentiles sit at the same table. One race and another race sits at the same table. Moral and immoral sit at the same table. You see, we all sit down as equal. We sit down at the table of Christ. We're equally sinful, we're equally lost, and we're equally accepted and loved by God. So when you see those begats, don't think boring. Think thrill. Because it's there to show us the grace of God. And I'll tell you what, I've never looked at 17 verses and thought, wow, my life would be changed. But this morning, I've looked at 17 verses, and it was hard to read them to you. But I see how my life has changed. Because, you know, the only reason I'm in the family of God is not my resume, not my pedigree, not anything that I could offer but what that baby came to start and what that baby was fulfilling and what that baby would fulfill on the cross and what that baby would rise from the dead as an adult. Man, what a powerful God we serve. Hebrews 2.11 says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed. Aren't you glad this morning God is not ashamed of you? Take your resume. I don't have a pretty resume, and neither do you. Somebody, somebody grabbed me. <laughs> it was so sweet. Somebody said, hey, you know, you forgot. The prostitute, the only reason she was included is because of Jesus. And I said, and how were you included? Oh, we forgot. My sin is no worse than that prostitute. In God's eyes, I have fallen short of the glorious standard of God. And God says, come, come. I care about you. I left heaven to do this for you. And I am not a respecter of persons. And folks, let us not be a respecter of persons either. Let's go out and boldly proclaim the good news. Let's not finish Christmas by just enjoying it. Let's finish Christmas by using every opportunity we can to proclaim the good news. Sandy Walshack's here this morning. Ron and Sandy brought like 70 people last night. Listen, I don't know, I don't know 70 people. 70 people they brought to, to hear the good news of Jesus. Can we thank God for people like Ron and Sandy? Man, it's, it's just incredible. You, know, you don't start that the night before. She starts on Valentine's Day getting them to come to Christmas, okay? But I want to encourage you. You don't have to do 70. Maybe you have one. But you know what? If we go through this time and we forget to tell them how good God is, look at what the opportunity we missed. And somebody's life could be changed next Sunday. Maybe your life's being changed today. Maybe Christmas Eve somebody's life's going to be changed we're going to have three services, 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Listen, let's, let's take it. Let's go and let's watch God use you. And I'm telling you, you will be so excited. You will not be able to contain yourself. Just talk to Sandy afterwards. She can't contain herself, right? You want, Sandy had them all go over her house afterwards on top of that. It's incredible. But listen, this, just, just do what God's given you the ability to do and say, hey, I know there's another man in our church. He carries the little cards. Bob Taylor. I think we wore him out. He's probably sleeping this morning. Bob Taylor takes our little cards that we have in the foyer with our service times. He puts them in his wallet. He crumbles them up. Cindy and Dan are here because he handed her an invitation. They were at a wedding. And he pulled out the crumbled up card. And he said, you got to come to my church. It's pretty good. And Cindy and Dan have come and their lives are changed. Can we thank God for these folks, man? It's exciting. It's exciting. You know what Dan, not, not, not Bob told me yesterday? He says, I need more cards. I've been sitting on them and ruining them. He said, and the other day, somebody asked, he goes, I... and so if you're here because Bob gave you a crumbled up card, welcome. 
but do what you can do. Let's spread the good news. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. Grace is the thrill of hope, folks. He had a plan. This was no mundane piece of scripture. He's showing you that he had a plan, that he loves you, and that he wants to include you in his kingdom. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Ken, I want to be included in the family of God. It's not by works of righteousness. It's not by your pedigree. It's only by Jesus. I want to invite you to trust him. And if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to make this real. Maybe maybe you've heard this all your life, and today God's speaking to you. I want you to open your heart to him and just call on him. He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I invite you to Jesus. If that's you this morning, just pray something like this to him. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done wrong things. I need a savior. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross. He paid for my sin. He rose again for me. And I invite you into my life right now. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for including me. And this morning, I want to encourage everybody, who's the name God's placing on your heart right now? Who is it that you could go out and be like the angels and proclaim the good news? We're not about good morals. We're not about good fables. We're about great news of something that actually happened that changed the world when Jesus came for you. He'll take care of the rest. Let's bring them to Jesus. I want to encourage you, pray over that name and take action this week. Invite them. Say, be my guest. I'll take you to lunch. I'll take you whatever. Just be my friend. Join me Christmas Eve. Join me next Sunday. Lord, be with your people. Thank you for what they've done already, Lord. We've just watched your people just bring their friends, their relatives, their families all this weekend. We've seen more than 40 people trust you, Lord. It's just incredible. God, I thank you for the people in this room this morning that just trusted you. They opened their hearts and they said yes to Jesus. So God, I pray for, pray for all, all of our congregation as we go out to proclaim the good news because it is more than good. It is incredible. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning, would you please stand and greet those around you? God bless you. You are dismissed.